thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you are looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church's campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to Journey Bible Church. Uh, for those of you, they told you I'm Pastor Mike. Uh, my full name's uh, Mike Bickley. I serve on the staff here at the church. And um, I just want you to know that if you're here and you're a mature follower of Jesus, our, our desire is to help you not only grow deeper in your walk with God, but teach you how you can share that walk with other people. And if you're a new Christian, we want to help you grow and uh, grow in Christlikeness and grow in your capacity to help others grow. One of the greatest things that we have as a knowledge as believers is that we are not an accident. Our lives are not an accident. Each one of us is walking a path to become like Christ as a follower of him. And each one of us is called to help others along that path. We believe God created us with purpose and the intention of having a life of significance. And so as a church, that's what we hope you to do. And part of our journey together is celebrating on Sunday morning through the word, uh, through song, through testimony, uh, through the sacraments as we will experience this morning. Is there a little echo in the room? Can we, can we get rid of that echo? That would be wonderful. And if we can't, we'll tolerate it. This morning, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue in our series. Um, the New Testament is made up of 27 letters. And these letters, these books as we call them, uh, were gathered and recognized by the early church as the inspired writings that God delivered through his apostles and prophets uh, for you and I today and in every generation as the authoritative word that guides us into truth and helps us to know how we are to live. We believe the Bible is not an ancient book for ancient people. It's God's record for every generation. We believe it's our field manual that helps us to know God, to love God, to serve God, and to follow God. We've been working through Ephesians, and I, I've kind of simplified our chart a little bit for you. The book falls naturally into two halves. The first half of the book, chapters 1 through 3, is really about theological truths. It's about our position in Christ. It is about our identity in Christ. It's about who we are because of what God has done. He's redeemed us. He's forgiven us. He's saved us. He's blessed us with all of these spiritual blessings that are just granted to us like the Holy Spirit because we are in Christ. 
That's the first half of the book. Last week, we shifted from the first half to the second half. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are all about our practice, all about our behavior, all about the practical way in which we should live in light of who we are. The Christian is supposed to live a life that matches the reality of their position. The first verse in the fourth chapter, Paul as a prisoner for the Lord. Remember we talked about his identity, identity not as a prisoner of Rome, but he sees everything in his life based on his identity. So if he's a prisoner, he's a prisoner for the Lord. And in chapter 4, through the rest of the book, he now switches gears from our spiritual blessings to the walk that you and I are supposed to have in life. Walking is a metaphor for the way that you and I live. And he's saying now... Because you are worthy in Christ, because of what he's done for you, what he's given to you, now walk worthy. And that's where we are in chapter 4, is this idea of walking worthy. Last week, we looked at the first six verses, and we explored this idea that we, in the first part of chapter 4, it's not so much about individual walk as the group walk, the church walk. We walk together. A healthy church walks together. A healthy church moves together. And the first six verses really focused on walking together in unity. You and I are to embrace the unity that Christ has already given us. And if you were here last week, you know we talked about we have a shared calling. We have a, a, a shared set of conduct and a shared set of convictions. And those three things are how we can walk in unity. Now, today, we want to add two more marks of a healthy church. We want to talk about how a healthy church exercises Christ's gifting and expresses Christ-like maturity. So we want to move into these next two marks. And what I hope we will see is how they build on one another. You can't have maturity without unity. And it's going to be really hard to maintain unity without maturity. And you and I are never going to experience unity as a body unless each and every one of us is exercising the spiritual gift that Christ has given to us. And so this idea of unity, gifting, and maturity work together to help you and I be a healthy church. So let's read our text this morning. We're going to look at verses 7 through 16 in chapter 4. Verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then in a parenthesis, is that how you say that? You know, I'm always fearful of talking in public, that I'm going to say a word backwards or sideways. Paul says, in saying he ascended, what does he mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, 
until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. I just recognize that I'm reading through this from my notes and not um, from those of you who might want to be following along. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we no longer may be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. These are such practical verses, and we want to unpack them this morning. Unfortunately, I can't go through everything I'd like to say unless you want to sit here for three or four hours. So we're going to pick some things that are probably most important for us at this season of our journey as a church. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that we have eyes to see from your word truth and ears to hear from your word application. God, through the Spirit, would you speak to each person in this room about their life, their journey, their walk, their gifting, their maturity. Lord, would you move them along the path, helping them to see their next step towards maturity, towards using their gifts. And then, Lord, as a church, would you help us to see the things that we can be better at together, not just individually. And Lord, we pray that you would unleash the gifts you've given and that you, Lord Jesus, would bring us to maturity. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we talked about unity last week, and the first thing we want to talk about this morning is the second mark of a healthy church, where people are exercising the gifts, the spiritual gifts that Christ has given them. Each believer, every person in this room who's a follower of Jesus has a spiritual gift, and each church has gifted people that God has given to help build up that body. Verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one of us. Each one of us has been given a spiritual gift. Other places in the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, here in Ephesians 4, and in other places in isolated incidents, we are told that when you and I become a follower of Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells us, each one of us is given a spiritual gift. None of us have been left out. None of you are void of a spiritual gift. 
You may not have discovered your gift. You may not be utilizing your gift. You may not be maximizing your gift. But every believer has at least one spiritual gift who God sovereignly ordained for you. And notice that it says here that it is according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I, I don't know how you guys measure things. Uh, I've been taught measure twice, cut once. How many of you um, How many of you have practiced measure once, cut twice? That doesn't work real well. It takes a lot of extra lumber, you know. You and I measure things. The measuring of your gifts, the measuring of the gifts in this body are sovereignly distributed by Christ the way he wants it. This is what's so beautiful. We shouldn't look at one another and envy a gift. You know, teaching gifts, which I believe the Lord has given me, are ones that people tend to covet. I got to tell you, my tendency is to covet those of you that have mercy. Because I'm just not very merciful. You're smiling like you know me, you know. And, and we shouldn't do that. What we should do is celebrate that Christ has measured out to Dean this gift, and he, he's he measured out to others of us, Logan, his gifts, and, and he's done this for what reason? We're going to find out in a minute. But Paul takes an aside here, because he now wants to talk about the authority of Christ to distribute his gifts, the authority of Christ to make the decision about the gifting that takes place in the kingdom of God, and in each local body. Verse 8 says this. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he, had, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, when you and I read that, if we're not real familiar with the Old Testament and the Psalms, which was the worship book, uh, of Jewish people, we might not recognize where that's coming from. It's coming from Psalm 68. And in Psalm 68, Paul um, is quoting this. And in that psalm, what is taking place is the people of that day needed to be rescued like the people of God were rescued out of Egypt. And if you'll remember what God did in supernaturally delivering his people in the Exodus, they left Egypt following Moses being led by what? A pillar of fire and a cloud, right? Either one, day or night. And they're being led by God and they are a whole host of captives that have been set free. And what are they carrying with them? Everything the Egyptians gave them for the journey, all the plunder. And so in Psalm 68, there's this desire that that happen again for the people of that day, that God supernaturally deliver them, rescue them, and also allow them to plunder their enemies. Now, what takes place in this passage is Paul applies this idea. This is the simplest and most natural way I know to understand these verses. They're much debated. I could give you all 93 of the explanations if I could find them all. But what I want you to know is the simplest, most natural way to understand these verses is taking that image and saying that Christ who ascended, what does that mean? It means that if Christ ascended, he had to first leave heaven. 
He had to come down to earth. Philippians chapter 2, Paul goes into much greater detail where he says that Christ took on flesh and he humbled himself and laid aside his prerogatives and privileges in heaven. And he came to this earth born in a manger and he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And what did Christ do when he died on that cross? He disarmed the principalities and powers and won the victory as he rose from the grave and he conquered sin, he conquered death, and he proved his right to rule over everything in this universe, amen? So the one who descended into the lower regions, i.e. to the earth, he, the one who descended, is the one who has the right now to ascend into heaven at the right hand of the Father where he will rule and reign and fill all spheres with his glory and his majesty. And because of that, he has the right to distribute to us through the Holy Spirit the gifts that he wants us to have so that we can do the work in the ministry that he wants us to do. So, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, if you go to the other spiritual gift passages, you will find different lists. So there's a different list in the Corinthians for the Corinthians church. There's this list for the Ephesians church, and this is probably a circular letter. There's a different list in 1 Peter 4. There's a different list in Romans 12. There's some overlap, but when you add them all together, what you realize is there's not one exhaustive list. And it seems that God creatively is providing for each and every church the unique gifted people that are necessary for that church to do the ministry God requires it to do. And every believer in every church is gifted. And every church has all the necessary gifts for at that moment that it needs. And that's what we recognize. And so what I want to make a distinction here is, I want you to remember he's talking about gifting. He's not talking about offices. And there's a difference between the office and the gift. So for, let me give you an example. The apostles. Who, who was an apostle? An apostle was someone who had to have been physically with Jesus. Paul actually appeared with Jesus and went away to be with Jesus for a couple of years before he started his apostolic ministry. And when all of the apostles who had been physically with Jesus died off, we no longer have any apostles. Same with the prophets, the ones that helped to write the New Testament alongside the apostles. When those prophets died off, I believe the office of apostle and the office of prophet who wrote the New Testament scriptures ended. But the gifting didn't. For example, apostolic gift. What is an apostle? It's a sent one. In the case of the 12 apostles, they were special sent ones. Paul was a special sent one. But today, we still have apostles. We still have people who pioneer new works. 
We still have people who go to unreached peoples. We still have people who are launching new works in new parts of the city. Colton Tatham is applying an apostolic gift to break ground in a new part of the city. When the Bullers left our congregation and went to Liberia to minister to unreached people, they were joining a pioneer work. So that apostolic gift is still there. Prophet. A prophet is not just someone who would foretell the future like the Apostle Paul does in the book of Revelation. And if you've ever read that book, it's awesome. And if you haven't read it, it's awesome. You should be reading it right now in our world at our time. Because we are closer and closer to the return of Christ than we have ever been. There's no one now writing new foretelling apocalyptic scriptures. But prophets also took the word of God and applied them relevantly to the context and culture in which they lived. And they forth told the truth, calling people to be courageous in the midst of a sinful, broken world, exhorting the church out of complacency or sinfulness into courageous boldness, amen? We still need that kind of prophetic gift. You'll also know, notice here that we have evangelists. How many of you know an evangelist? How many of you have a friend who just every conversation with a stranger turns into a gospel conversation? Any of you have friends like that? They just naturally do it. I have a friend like that. Every job he's ever had, he's led a whole bunch of people to Christ. I'm at times envious of that gift, right? And we have people like that. They have a a special way of getting into the gospel, clearly communicating the gospel, and calling people to respond to the gospel. Andrew, sometimes I think you got that gift. And you just naturally do it. I'm scared to go to coffee shops with Andrew. We never get a talk. Then it's shepherds. People who tend the flock, care for the flock, protect and guide the sheep. These are people like our journey group leaders who come in and are so vested in wanting to see others grow. To come alongside them, help them learn what they need to learn and apply what they need to apply so they can become who God designed them to be and they can be equipped to help others. And then also teachers. People gifted in unpacking and explaining God's word, helping to make complex things seem simple, motivating and inspiring you in a way that would want you to jump into the word and feed on it yourself and want to obey it with great joy. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. We need these in the church today. Some of you out there fall into these roles. Some of you fall into other roles in other places of the scripture. But God puts his gifts in people. That's why Paul writes this way to the church at Ephesus, not to just say that there are people who who have the gift of evangelism, but they're evangelists. And there are people that have the gift of prophecy. No, they're, they're prophets. And that's what you and I are to be, a gifted person exercising our gift in the body for the good of the body. Now, just a quick aside. 
If you have a gift and you're not using it, you're not growing like you should be. But the gift's really not about you. If you have a gift and you're not using it in this body, the church is missing out on what you have to offer. The church grows when all of us know our gift, use our gift, and unleash it for the glory of God in the context of ministry. So I want you to notice what he says in verse 12. Why did he give these gifted people? Well, one, he gave them because he had the authority to. And then second, he does it to equip the saints for the work of ministry. All right, everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand and say, I'm a saint. Raise your hand. Come on, join in on the party here. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. How many of you feel like a saint today? You know, saint is the descriptor, the common word used in the New Testament for just an everyday believer like you like me, a saint. Who does the work of the ministry? The hired guns or the everyday people? I want you to notice there, he gives gifted people to equip the saints so they will do the ministry. In every church, you may have pastors, you may have elders, you may have deacons, you may have other gifted people, but our job is to use our gift to equip other gifted people to do the work of ministry. Notice the word work. How many of you know that ministry can be work? But what a great project. Helping people find and follow Jesus. You're gifted to do that. Do you know that in the New Testament, this idea that Mike goes and leads someone to Christ, Mike goes and follows that person up, Mike goes and establishes that person, Mike goes and equips that person, Mike goes and brings that person to complete maturity, and then Mike unleashes that person to go do the same with everybody else. And that every person is responsible for every aspect of the discipleship process, that's really not what the New Testament teaches. What the New Testament teaches is that some people need a balance to Mike with other gifts that will round them out into maturity. And that when we're all using all of our gifts, then we are all helping people become more devoted followers of Jesus. So discipleship the process from new convert to reproducing disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples is something we should all be doing together. Amen? And so you have a gift to help in that process. God wants to use you in that process. Notice what he says, to equip the saints. I think the word training might be better. So I'm going to use an example how many of you know how to change a car tire? Okay. How did you learn how to change that tire? By someone telling you how to change that tire or by getting a flat tire and realizing you had no idea what you were doing and you had to figure it out and maybe somebody came along and helped you and then, you know, I, I got to admit, my boys learned how to change a tire way better than my daughter did and I'll tell you why in a moment. But in changing a tire, right, you show someone how to do it, but then 
after they've seen how to do it, maybe watch a YouTube video on it, you need to take them out into the driveway, you need to park the car in a flat service, and then you need to help them actually change a tire. Because there's things that happen like lug nuts that don't want to come loose. you got to learn how to stand on top of that crowbar, right? You, you, and keep your balance and just how much pressure you can put on it. And, and then what, what, if, what if there's brake shear? How many of you have ever had a tire that's stuck? to the wheel, even though you got all the lug nuts off. Well, how do you get that loose? You know, there's all kinds of things. You know, maybe you take somebody out and put them on a busy road and say, hey, we're going to practice changing a tire right here. It's all different. Equipping, training. I got a confession to make. With my daughter, I have really good roadside assistance, so I taught her how to dial a phone number. Seriously. I mean, she knows how to do a tire a little bit, but I told her, listen, if you're somewhere, you stay in your car, you call roadside assistance, we have a promise they'll be there within 30 minutes. And you can't change the tire that fast, honey. That was not the best advice in the world. And some people take that advice when it comes to the church. We want to call someone else to do what we should do. I just, I want to plead with you. If you've been sitting on the sidelines, unengaged, using your gift in this body, now is the time. COVID has pruned the church around the world. But often pruning leads to a season of growth. And it's a phenomenal opportunity for you to use your gifts. Do you know your spiritual gifts? Are you using your spiritual gifts? We used to have a regular class here that taught you about spiritual gifts, about how to figure out where your passion areas are, what your spiritual gifts are, and then what ministries in our church that you could utilize those in. To be honest with you, that class has gone by the wayside over the last couple of years during COVID. And I had a couple sit in my office a few weeks ago just passionate about that class. So I, just, I want you to know that class is coming back. Because we need to find a way to discover our gifts, match it with our passions, and plug into the body of Christ right here at Journey Bible Church. So look for that. It'll be coming soon. God brought us all into one body, no matter what our race, no matter what place we come from, no matter what our background, no matter what our status in society, all of us are equal in the body of Christ. But we're not the same. God doesn't like uniformity. He likes equality expressed in diversity. And so he gifts us in such ways. But we have to be trained and then unleashed. And that should be the promise of the leadership to you, the people. Our job is to help equip you. Your job is to do the work of ministry. Unity, gifting, and then lastly, I'm going to go a little faster on maturity because I'm running out of time. And I want to make sure we celebrate communion in a non-rushed fashion. The third mark of a healthy church is that as we are unified and practicing the use of our gifts, then we mature as believers 
And as we mature as believers, we build up the body, especially in the area of truth and love. So this idea of equipping the saints for the work of ministry until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So it's this idea that we working together, using our gifts, maturing and building up one another, we're doing it until we all look like Christ. Our character looks like Christ. Our lifestyle looks like Christ. That's the process we're moving toward. Because one day, you and I will be in heaven, and guess what we really will be? Just like Christ. But now we're in a process of sanctification where we're moving towards that maturity. And one of the ways that we see maturity is the way that we can handle deceitful scheming, cunning, craftiness, so that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Man, we have seen this in the church in our time. When it comes to life, when it comes to gender, we've seen all kinds of crafty scheming to distort the word of God and its plain truth to accommodate a worldly perception that has rooted itself. By the way, world defined in the Bible is the rival system set up to oppose God. We, as we gifted one another, pour into one another, we bring about Christ-like maturity that stabilizes our faith and helps us to notice through great teaching, through prophetic words, that there are things that are wrong in our culture that we should not buy into as the people of God, no matter how much pressure the world puts upon us. And we are solid and we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The key constructors for this building, this body, are you guys. Building us up. Two words that are really important here, truth and love. We need both, fully, 100%. Just like Jesus was fully human and fully divine, we needed both of those. So as a church, we need full truth and we need full love. Both of those are not just concepts, they're behaviors. Actually, it's interesting, in, in, this, in the scripture here, the word for truth, speaking the truth in love is one word. The, the idea of speaking the truth, or it's really truthing the truth is what it really literally says. In other words, behaving truthfully, living out the truth, not just here in the content that you read, but here in the way that you live, here in the way that you walk, here in your heart attitudes. And love, God's unconditional, steadfast, loyal, pervasive love. A love for the lost, 
a love for the enemy, a love for my brother and my sister. The church needs both truth and love. If you compromise one, it shallows out the other. But if we can keep both, they are powerful together. Truth and love. And then I want you to notice what it says here. It says, each part working properly, held together by every joint. So the idea is each and every one of us is very important for all of us. Each and every one of us is very important for all of us. When each of us is doing our part, all of us can work together. That's why unity is so important. That's why gifting is so important. Because when we have those two things, then we can move towards maturity and grow and build ourselves up in love. This is what God has designed Journey Bible Church to be. A unified church. A gifted church. A maturing church. Building itself up in love reaching the lost, helping to transform the believer and sending out agents of grace and love and truth into a broken world. I see that. I see you guys, where you live, where you work, where you play, reaching the lost. I see you in your journey groups, encouraging one another, building one another up, exhorting one another to the life that Christ has called us to. I see those of you with mercy gifts coming alongside those that are grieving and mourning and shoring them up and loving on them and bringing them the peace of Christ. I see you in so many places, in so many ways. Do you see yourself that way? Because God has gifted you and God wants you to use your gifts to impact this body this community, and our world. Let's pray together. God, God, we choose to accept what you've taught in this word. And Lord, we pray that we would apply it to our individual lives. God, give each person in here a step to take, a a gift to discover, a a right-sided balance between truth and love. God, as a church, a, a leader who steps forward to help with people discovering their gifts. Lord, help us not only to move in that direction, but then to move in the direction of not just learning, but mobilizing, putting into practice, being a part of working together. Lord, we know that this is your design. So we surrender to it, we submit to it, and we ask that you would help us to do it like never before. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.